0: Simmons, welcome to the fifth episode of Sandlam's Invested in the Future series. Today we're looking at the future of happiness and I'm joined by positive psychology expert and leading practitioner in the science of well-being, Miriam Akhtar. The COVID-19 pandemic and numerous lockdowns have left many of us questioning where we might derive happiness from in the future, having rediscovered the importance of spending time with our families, enjoying walks in the fresh air and living a simpler life. Today, we'll be discovering whether there is a secret to happiness and how we can keep our happiness intact as we slowly gravitate back to life after lockdown. Miriam, welcome. So tell us how it all started. What sparked your interest in this area of the psychology of happiness?
1: Uh, well, I was working in the broadcast media, did that for about 20 years, um, and I made a programme on the science of happiness. And I was sort of really intrigued by this. Um, But by that stage, so I was in my early 40s and I'd had a number of episodes of depression. And uh, when I heard that there was a science, a master's in the science of happiness starting up, I decided to join it. And I think secretly I was trying to self medicate my way um, out of a number of episodes of depression. Um, And I just really discovered my thing, you know, it, uh, it, it worked for me. Um, and I just absolutely loved it. I, you know, I, I really believe that this, this works. It's the science of happiness and well-being. So what positive psychology is, it's not only the science of optimal functioning, but it's um, how we can feel good and function well and, and to help people on the path to flourishing.
0: So, what's optimal functioning? How we can function at our best?
1: How we function at our best, um, how we can live lives of meaning and purpose, how we feel good. Um, So, there there are actually two sides to happiness. Um, There's a side which is about experiencing positive emotion, you know, having those sort of feel good experiences, those peaks of happiness. But there's actually a deeper Type of happiness as well. It's called eudaimonic well being and it comes from an ancient Greek term, daemon, which means um, our true nature. So that's about realizing our potential, playing to our strengths, doing something that gives us that sense of, of meaning. And this is the way to a sort of sustainable happiness. So two major forms of well-being and the combination adds up to authentic happiness.
0: So what is the relationship between mental health, well-being and positive psychology?
1: Uh, Well, that's a good question. Mental health and well-being are terms that are generally used synonymously. But um, mental health is a state of social and emotional well-being. So to be mentally healthy uh, it means that uh, it's more it's 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 about more than the absence of illness, it's actually about the presence of well-being. Uh, and positive psychology is the way we do it. So as a science, it's evidenced a range of practices so that we know that they work, and, and that's the way to grow our
0: well-being. And how are they interconnected then? Because when you talk about mental health, depression, we now know that it's a clinical thing, it's something, it's, you know, akin to a physical illness in the body. Um, so how do they how are they interconnected? Well
1: well they are they, they do, you know, kind of mean the same thing. But um, the term mental health is usually associated with pathology. You know, if you go to see a psychologist, it's because something's wrong. Um, and I've even heard people talking about suffering from mental health, as if that's a bad thing, when actually it's a positive thing. So the relationship is that when we put the focus on growing our well-being, that then feeds our mental health. It raises the bar on our mental health.
0: Do you think there's been a real shift um, over the past sort of 50 years to focus on mental health? It's not really something that, you know, our grandparents' generation would talk about, was it? Uh,
1: And in in fact, even the field of psychology was very much um, oriented to what's wrong with people. You know, what are people's weaknesses? um, And it has identified a whole range of mental disorder. But actually, with positive psychology, we're now seeing a focus on the other side of the equation. You know, there was something missing. So now um, what positive psychology does is study, you know, what is it that makes people happy? What gives life meaning? What does it take to flourish? So actually, I think not only was it something that wasn't really spoken about, but when it was, it was very much in negative terms. But now with there being a study of, uh, of of well-being, we're putting a lot more focus on what does it take to build our mental health. What are the ingredients of well-being?
0: So, what are they?
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, there are lots, um, but essentially, um, happiness has two major branches to it so one is hedonic well-being the clue is in the name and this is the happiness of pleasure of good times of uh, the feel-good factor experiencing a range of uh, positive emotions Uh, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that The only thing is that it's a a short-term happiness. It doesn't last. But there's another form of happiness, less well-known, this eudaimonic well-being. It it comes from a Greek term, um, being um, daemon, which means your true nature. Um, And this is the form of happiness, which is a more sustainable happiness. It's about uh, living a life of meaning and purpose you know do you have a purpose in life you know what's um what gives you that sense of of uh, meaning what's important to you what matters and um it, it's it's not well known you know when we think of happiness we tend to think of those peaks mm. of happiness uh which don't last but this, eudaimonic well-being, is this its this deeper level. It's almost like your baseline of satisfaction, of contentment, of fulfilment in life. There are lots of different ways to it, um, but I can sum it up in one little formula. If you put effort into something that's meaningful to you, then you gain this deeper sense of satisfaction.
0: And how do we know? How do we discover, how do we find out what is meaningful to, to any of us, which of course will be different for every person?
1: Well, it's, I mean, it is very personal. You know, what what is it that matters to you? What are you intrinsically motivated by? What do you do for its own sake? And and it varies from person to person. It could be a cause. It could be a vocation for For many people, it's about our relationships, our families. It's the people that count. And and there's good reason for that. They've done studies of the happiest people on the planet. And what they have in common is that they have good close relationships and active social lives. So our well-being, our happiness is very much about people. And in fact, one of the founding positive psychologists said that he could sum up the whole of the science of happiness in three words, other people matter. So people are essential for our well being. Even the most introverted of people um, uh, need that sense of connection and belonging.
0: And that's something that so many of us have missed over the past eighteen Absolutely, months, isn't yeah. it? When we've been disconnected physically um, from the people that matter to us, we haven't been able to see parents, grandparents, grandparents haven't been able to see their grandchildren. You know, it's been traumatic in a lot of ways for many people. And I don't know if we even begin to know yet the outcome of that psychologically on so many of us. But what, in your view, has been the impact of COVID um, on our happiness?
1: Well, absolutely, mental health has gone down um, during the pandemic and levels of anxiety and depression have risen. But I think it's coming back now. So um, that, is, that is, you know, being, our, our well-being is recovering from the onslaught of the virus. Um, there are a number of fundamental ingredients to, to, of well-being, one of which is autonomy. We lost our autonomy. Um, And also relatedness, that sense of connection and belonging. So absolutely short term, there has been a decline in our levels of happiness. Um, But there's another form of well-being, uh, which I think is on the increase, and it's called post-traumatic growth. Because one thing that we know is that, um, well, the silver lining in adversity is that people do experience some kind of benefits in adversity. And if they're able to find a positive in the negative, then their level of well-being will grow.
0: What about the conceptualization of happiness? Has that shifted what we think will make us happy pre and post-pandemic. We're not not quite post it yet, but is there a shift there, do you think? I think there
1: is. I think pre-pandemic it was very much about hedonic well being, you know, striving for happiness and having incredibly busy lives, uh, consumerism, you know, being on that sort of treadmill. But the thing is, um, uh, it's a hedonic treadmill, i.e., the novelty wears off. So I think pre pandemic, it was much more about that. But as people have had that time, you know, away out of the sort of busyness of the usual life, I think. Um, I think the future is going to be much more about living um, a life of meaning and purpose. I think people have had the time to think about what they want from their lives. You know, spend more time from their uh, with their loved ones, and I think it is going to shift. So I, I, I think it will be more towards living um, a life of, of meaning, doing what's important to us and you know really really having that sense or living what matters to us so yes I do think that's going to be the major shift however first of all I think there's going to be some good times in the sense that when freedom day approaches you know there's going to be a return to hedonic well-being people are going to be doing the things that were were about that the finer things in life you know arts, travel, uh, culture, eating out. So I've, I think maybe we'll have a roaring 20s mm. afterwards. But ultimately, I think this great pause in our lives is an opportunity for a reset. And, um, and, and people have been reflecting on what's important to them now. And we'll want to live that
0: do you think, though, that might be short term? Do you think that we'll too easily forget um, how difficult the past eighteen months has been, and return again to consumerism, to the sort of uh, pursuit of the other things that we wanted in life—travel, um, you know, financial um, security, all those things. Do you think that it's sort of it, we'll we'll just lose that sense of we want a simpler life quite quickly?
1: It's the risk, isn't it? But I think. I think there's been a bigger sea change going on and I think people will want to, now that they've had that time to reflect, I think people will be more motivated to do things that are important to them. After all, life is short and we don't want to waste it on on things that don't really count. Mm. So I do think, I see this this, um, sense of meaning and purpose continuing.
0: What about when we talk to our children about happiness? Because you know, it's something that you know, parents often say to the kids, we just want you to be happy, that's all. And with a, genuine, with a genuineness, that is what parents want for their kids. Um, how do we explain what that is to children? Because they live such a, you know, especially my kids are quite young, they're in the moment, they don't think about the future, um, but they are very involved in whatever is happening to them that day that might be upsetting them. How do we sort of explain the concept of happiness to kids?
1: course, that's a good question. Um, I, I'm not sure we can sort of quite explain it, but I do think it's a really good idea to instill in children a sense of gratefulness and appreciation for what they have. You know, sort of orient them to, to really um, appreciating and savouring what they have. You know, happiness is wanting what we have rather than having what we want. If we can learn to appreciate you know that the 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 good things that happen every day that will be that's a great gift that we can you know give to our, our children you know the brain has a negativity bias so we are naturally drawn to notice what's wrong um, in life rather than what's right so practicing something like a, a form of gratitude so for example a very simple exercise like every day thinking about what were your three good things what three good things have happened to you today that can help uh, children to really notice it, uh, and what it, what it does is it trains the brain Mm. to tune in and notice what's good in life. So I think that is, you know, helping children to understand and appreciate the good things that they have. I think that's Mm. the lesson to teach, really.
0: And for adults as well. Oh
1: Gosh, yes. Yes.
0: I think we can often go Mm. through life just looking at the negative, can't we? Well, this bad thing happened, that bad thing happened, and not appreciating, you know, the good stuff. Yes.
1: Um, I've been keeping gratitude journals for over 20 years now, and it fundamentally changed my mindset from one of scarcity you know, aware of everything that was missing from my life to one of abundance. So I get joy out of the the simplest things like, you know, that pink jacket. I love that colour, you know, or a really good cup of coffee. You know, or this is my first trip to London in sixteen months. I can get so much positive emotion out of the simplest mm. of experiences, and that's because I've trained my brain to really notice the good stuff and savor it, to be present to the joys as and when they happen.
0: What about um, coming out of the pandemic and thoughts about happiness? Because it's been a really tough time for a lot of people, um, and. There there is a lot of uncertainty for a lot of people um, in so many different ways. Do you worry that there's going to be a sort of hangover effect of that and it will make people, what's happened over the past 18 months, especially so many people's lives have been affected by, you know, the illness of loved ones, the death of loved ones. Do you think there might be a a negative knock-on of that?
1: Um, I think the positive thing is that the last 18 months has shone a spotlight on mental health. And I don't think that's going to go away. So I think there will be much more focus on how we can grow our well-being. So that's one thing. So that's that's a good thing. I mean, previously mental health was something that we just we, you know, we just simply wouldn't go there. So that's one positive thing. And hopefully the knowledge of the practices that help to you know develop our mental health will be shared widely. So Personally, I'm optimistic, but I think the absolute silver lining is the fact that we do grow through adversity you know there will be post traumatic growth or maybe post pandemic growth you know there will be good things that come out of this experience what it means what i mean the way to get there really is to accept the reality of what what, what has happened you know and then pick up the pieces and, and think about what can we do with this how can we move forward in a positive way. So if we're able to do that, if we're able to accept and engage with the reality of what now is, then I think this will help people to experience green shoots, you know, post-pandemic.
0: I'm interested. You mentioned about studies of happiness and when people are asked about being happy. How is it monitored? How do people? How do studies work? Um, you know, on a scientific basis.
1: Well, generally, people do surveys. Um, they fill in surveys, self-report surveys, and you know, uh, rate themselves on a scale of one to seven um, as to how how happy they are Um, but uh, there are also i mean the the surveys vary and um and capture data on on different things but if you sort of understand that because we do have these two dimensions to happiness um and the the feel-good side and the meaning and purpose side you know we, we measure them in different ways so it could be um the the amount of positive emotion you experience actually i'll tell you i'll tell you one of the ways that we do this there is a formula for happiness another formula which is swb equals swl plus pa minus na that's in okay. brackets by the way okay this is the science bit so <laughs> So, that, and that's subjective well-being. That is, um, that's the scientific term for happiness, equals satisfaction with life. So we ask people, how satisfied are you? with your life? Are you where you want to be in life? Or is there a gap between where you are and where you want to be? So that's the thinking side of happiness, the cognitive side. How do you rate how, you know, how satisfied you are with life? And then the other side is the emotional content. So this is PA minus NA, which sounds like it stands for positive attitude minus negative attitude, it's not. It's positive affect minus negative affect. So it's the sum of your experience of positive emotions versus the sum of your experience of negative emotion. Do you tend to experience more positive than negative emotion? Is it one-to-one? Or are you experiencing more negative than positive emotions? We measure that as well as get people to answer surveys about how satisfied mm. they are in life.
0: And often when you see these stories, you kind of think it's once a year we find out what's the happiest country on earth. Yes. And very often it's Scandinavian countries, yeah. isn't it? Mm. And is that about being outdoors then?
1: <laughs> it's because a variety they are, of they things. Are, they, um,
0: because their, their lifestyle is so outdoors, isn't it?
1: Uh,
0: Generalisation.
1: No, it's not really about that. We don't really know the exact reasons, but there have been several theories put forward. Firstly, because it's a more equal society. Um, And secondly, because um, uh, uh, Scandinavians tend to be more stoical. They've got sort of lower expectations. So um, they're much more sort of quietly satisfied uh, with with life. And they are amongst the richest nations as well. And it does tend to be the richer nations
0: that top the happiness league tables. Do you think that the idea of happiness, as, as I mentioned sort of at the beginning, it wasn't something that different generations, our grandparents' generation really thought about. You know, post-war, they were just trying to get on with it. Do you think uh, there is an issue with our expectations of happiness that we sort of expect too much, that we sort of can maybe focus on it too much? You know, we, we become too uh, introverted about it or obsessed with the idea of happiness. Am I happy? It's something that we monitor um almost almost on a obsessional level sometimes
1: gosh you're you're, you're so right and i used to have this horrible um, nasty little habit that in the middle of a happy experience i would ask myself but am i happy and that would instantly puncture the joy um the pursuit of happiness can be ultimately self-defeating. You know, you are better off um, uh, uh, trying to to live uh, um, something that's meaningful. You know, live, have, uh, pursue your sense of purpose. And enjoy the, the feelings, the positive emotions that come as a kind of byproduct of it. Um, because positive emotions are limited, you know, they're, 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 they're fleeting experiences. You're never going to hang on to them. And of course, people who don't feel happy often feel a sense of shame. So just focus on living a life of purpose and then enjoy that sense of satisfaction and the kind of the moments of joy when they happen.
0: Do you think sometimes we blame other people as well for our unhappiness, perhaps if you're in a job or you're in a relationship? And, you, you know, there's this idea that the other person has to make you happy in a relationship. Do you think that that's wrong and that we should be more self-reliant on our happiness? I think that's,
1: yeah. Um, well, look, relationships are the number one um, source of happiness. Um, But our circumstances only um, account for about 10% of our happiness. So, you know, there's no point blaming the environment or, or sort of, you know, what's going on for you in this sort of outer world. But absolutely, we need to take sort of personal responsibility uh, for our happiness and, and actually nurturing our relationships, you know, sort of. And that's just simple stuff, giving them time <laughs> and, and and respect. That's going to have a much more sort of positive impact so yeah don't blame <laughs> mm. but really look at you know what are the simple things that you can do to nurture the the relationships that you have so invest in that also I mean what what makes the biggest difference of all is the mindset that you have you know if you have a more positive mindset if you're more optimistic then you will have higher well-being you know it's 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 sort of it's not only higher uh, uh, psychological well-being but higher physical well-being is as that well something
0: you can change whether you're an optimist Absolutely. or a pessimist because you can, yeah people often Think, well, I'm just kind of born that way.
1: Um, it's it's a an, a both and. Yeah, some there is a there is optimism is both a personality trait which is more stable, but you can learn to think more optimistically. And and neuroscience has shown us that the brain is plastic. The neuroplasticity of the brain shows us that that things are more flexible than they are fixed. So, you know, every time you do something for the, the first time, it produces millions of neural connections. So, you can grow your happiness, you can develop your strengths, you can learn optimism you know all of these things are
0: malleable are developable and talking about generations does your idea and your sort of pursuit of happiness I mean it must change through the years we talked about how we talk to kids about it but it's sort of um, as your life moves through its different phases how how does what we think about happiness and how we can achieve happiness how does that uh, change
1: Well, the the sources of happiness are universal. But one thing that's true of older people um, is that as life gets shorter, the need for meaning grows. So we don't want to waste our time. You know, we want to do the things that are important to us. That's the main difference. You know, younger people, they're much more about the present moment, as you were saying about your kids. You know, the joy in the moment. But um, the older we get the more we want to do something that, that's meaningful to us. And that's why people, when they retire, are sometimes quite vulnerable, because after you spent six months on the golf course or on holiday, then the question is, what next? Mm. You know, what now? So we need to feel that our lives are significant and doing something that, that counts for us.
0: So how do how do they find that source? I mean, obviously, it's different for everybody else. But funny enough, I was talking to my dad at the weekend about him retiring and he's always worked and never had any hobbies. And I think that's familiar to a lot of people of that generation, isn't it? Um, so how do they what, what how if they don't have anything else that they're passionate about? Where do they search that out? Gosh, well,
1: yes. I mean, I think it, it, it's it's very personal, um, and um, I think it's, it's sort of looking to what's what your passions are. You know, notice when what you're naturally drawn to. If you use your strengths, that's a source of meaning. So, you know, what are your positive qualities and how can you use them um, in the world? Um, and um, I mean, there, there's one thing that uh, is a sort of a new concept that's coming over from the States, which is about having an encore career. And the idea of that is second chances in the second half of life. You know, how can we do something? How can we add meaning to our working lives? And you might want to explore something that you were interested in, you know, way back when, um, or or maybe volunteer. Um, There is a, a strength that comes through in midlife. It's called generativity. And this is about wanting to um, make a difference, make your mark in the world, thinking about a positive legacy, you know, what you want to sort of bequest, what you want to leave the world, you know, when, when you're gone. For me, it's my books. Uh, my books are my legacy, that's my sort of contribution um, to, to, to the world. People tend to find meaning in positive experiences. So that might be getting married or getting a certain job. You know, there's a sense of life is the way it's meant to be. And people tend to make meaning from negative experiences. So we're trying to make sense of why why has this thing um, happened to me and, and how can I take something positive away from it so um so that's when you know people tend to start charities or might Change direction um, in some way. So for me, um, I, I, in my earlier life, I had periods of depression, and out of my suffering emerged my my sense of purpose, which is to put people on the path to happiness. And I've lived that for the last fifteen years. It's it was it's what gets me. Out of bed in the morning, you know, it's my icky guy. It gives me that that sense of of meaning, Um, and we know that if you if you have a sense of meaning, um, it it can add years to your life. You know, people who have a strong sense of meaning uh, do tend to live longer. So it is about thinking about, you know, what's important to me? You know, what am I naturally drawn to? What am I intrinsically motivated by? And also we get to a sense of meaning by using our strengths in the world. Okay. Having meaning (laughs) is about doing something that goes beyond the self, that connects you to the wider world. So, you know, that might be adding to the greater good it might be mentoring younger people you know guiding the younger generation but it is something that goes beyond the self so it is about your your connection your interaction um, between the your inner world and the outer world
0: so is this sort of the three dimensions of happiness really
1: the 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 three dimensions to meaning yes Um, um firstly coherence does your life make sense? How do the pieces of the jigsaw fit together? I mean, that's something for your dad to reflect on, for example. Um, and also significance is the, the 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 second dimension. Do do you feel like you matter? Um, you know, is is what you're doing, does it does it make life worthwhile? You know, so do you have a sense of significance? And the third one is that sense of purpose. You know, um, do you do you have, you know, what's what is your basically the sense of purpose is the way we live our meaning. So the meaning is about why we do what we do in life. Purpose is about how we live that sense of. Of meaning so what direction are you going in what goals are you working towards
0: and in your view what would be the kind of barriers to happiness in the next say 10 years versus the next 50 years
1: um, I think right now the barrier to happiness is that we just all slip back <laughs> into the old way of life we go back onto autopilot and we just try to put um, life back together the way it was so we do need to engage with this new reality um, post-pandemic but I think um, ultimately it's um, I, I think it's if, if we lose sight of the fact that it's people that count you know it's our relationships with other people so um, you know tech for example is coming uh, we're, we're living uh, lives which are much more mediated by tech so you um, we can become sort of almost like fixated by the tech and lose sight of the fact that it is people. So I think the tech, our automated lives, that in the future could act as a barrier if our lives are ruled by tech rather than giving our time to that sort of connection, the human interaction. Um, and also, I think things like social media as well. You know, one of the barriers to happiness is um, that we tend to make social comparisons. So we, you know, we and often we judge ourselves to be worse off than other people. It's very natural to make social comparisons, but you're better off making comparisons to someone you think of as worse off to you, rather than comparing up to people you you think of as being um, better off. That's why a lot of social media can make us feel um, inadequate. Um, Another thing that I think is going to be a barrier to happiness is what's known as the paradox of choice, there are so many choices out there. You know, going to the supermarket, 15 types of jam, of strawberry jam, or into the coffee shop, and, you know, 20 types of coffee, coffee. How do you choose? Now, maximizers are people who always want to make the best choice. So they do lots of research. They want to go for the best but often they experience buyers' regret and their their anxiety levels can be quite high. But if we can make do with something that meets our minimum criteria, so that we are satisficers, we we're satisfied, <laughs> we're, we're satisfied with what is and, and something that suffices, satisfices. So if we can um, I think resist the urge to get sort of sucked into that consumerism and and just go for stuff that just meets our minimum criteria will sort of maintain our level of contentment you know so too much choice can can be a bad thing
0: and what about any practical takeaways for us to achieve happiness again different time frames over the next 10 versus 50 years maybe
1: uh the same things are going to be you know making us happy in 50 years time as they are that make us happy right now so firstly i think practical takeaways practice some form of gratitude So it could be as simple as every day, ask yourself, what are the three good things from today? You know, I had a a lovely train journey this morning, free coffee, (laughs) croissant, you know, uh, what's gone well today? So ask yourself that question repeatedly so that you keep your focus on, on what's good and what's positive. So that's one thing. Nurture your relationships, you know, look after the people in your life, you know, preserve time for those people who count the most for you and I think orient your way towards that deeper happiness known as eudaimonic well-being so find out what's meaningful to you what are you naturally motivated to spend your time on and put the effort into it so these things you know are, are For now and also in 50 years time
0: (laughs) do you think that we have to accept that we aren't going to feel happy all the time yeah because people often say well you wouldn't know happiness unless you knew unhappiness
1: Uh, yes there's that thing of of the contrast yeah and, and and that's why we are better off focusing on on meaning as an engaging activity, rather than those positive feelings, because those aren't going to last. You know, you have a moment of joy, a moment of bliss, a moment of serenity, and and then it passes. Um, I, I like to sort of misquote John Lennon here: that um, happiness is is something that happens when you're busy making other plans. You know, yeah. so it's something we should a- approach indirectly rather than directly
0: and also maybe accept that happiness at different stages will be different things for example you know in your Absolutely. teens 20s yeah it was you know more going yeah. out than you know if you have a family in your 30s it's all about yeah the family you know it, it just it shifts yeah. doesn't it
1: and um the low point in terms of happiness tends to be in the 40s (laughs) happiness is a sort of u-shaped curve
0: is that when you're tired you don't have a
1: life (laughs) often yeah people (laughs) have got you know they've got busy working lives they're looking after children there's aging parents to deal with but the good news for anyone who's going through that midlife low is that it gets better Mm -hmm. that once that's out of the way our happiness tends to go up
0: They do, yeah, that is the generation, it's the 60s, people in the 60s. Yeah, the baby
1: boomers. Yeah, Yeah, it's the baby boomers who are coming into peak happiness.
0: (laughs) All right. Now, thank you very much for (laughs) answering my questions. Um, Let me put some of those that have come through Um, via those watching at home. Thank you very much for sending them in. Do carry on, because we have got a little bit of time. So this one is from Judith saying, you mentioned that the rich countries are usually happier. Um, Surely richness can't make a country class as happy. The UAE should then have a positive well-being.
1: Yeah, um, well, look, the relationship between money and happiness is a complicated one. But um, really, it's when our basic needs are covered, then money ceases to have much of an impact on our well-being. It's it's more marginal. So those nations where the the basic needs of life, you know, shelter, food, etc., aren't secure, they do tend to have the lowest levels of um, happiness. But after a certain point, money only has a sort of marginal impact on your happiness so the sort of the 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 effect tends to sort of wear off what, what is what... that
0: point is it different for everybody <laughs> it
1: is yeah. it's different for every nation <laughs> um, but what money does is that it buys you choices it gives you choices so it can facilitate you know your 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 options in life and give you that sense of of certainty, you know the brain likes certainty. So if you have financial security, and then you know you know that that, that well that that money will give you options, you know to sort of do um, to to for, for your life. But you know um, we still need to invest in relationships rather than, than retail. So, you know, money gives... It, it, you you need to be wise in, in the way you, you spend your money for it to increase your well-being.
0: OK, and this one from Christopher, which we have touched on, but he says, what impact has social media had on our happiness? And you've talked about it being negative. But the problem is that it's in our lives. Um, you know, most of us will have the Facebook app on our phones, we'll be on Twitter, we'll be, you know, on Instagram. How... How do you use it wisely, I suppose? How do you say... Because, you know, you talked about comparing your life to other, one's life to other people's and we all see the Facebook posts of somebody on a gorgeous holiday. I mean, it drove me mad last summer because the people who got away were all sunning themselves wherever um, and we were stuck in, you know... Actually, the weather was nice last summer. But, you know, it, it, and it's very hard to not compare your life, isn't it, to what you see, even though you know it's not real. It's just a snapshot of one moment in time
1: well i would say keep it real you know use use social media for um, a way of connecting with people I mean, we saw that during the pandemic didn't we you know um, it was a way i I found that that was a way of, of staying in touch with people and finding a community of support so use social media in its positive way but really make sure you keep the space for real relationships in person. Now, love, there's been a lot of research that's gone on into love. um, And the scientific term for love is positivity resonance. Because what happens in a moment of love is that two people go into sync Um, So we tend to reflect each other in our behavior, even in our biochemistry um, as well. And for that to happen, we need to have um, uh, real time contact because most of the connection is happening through the eyes. So. Stay in touch, you know, as much as you can. Be with the people you care with. And by the way, you can have a moment of love with complete strangers. (laughs) You know, it's that, that moment of connection. And it happens
0: in real life, in real time. Okay, thank you. Um, This one from Carol. How do you deal with all the awful things that are happening all the time to people and animals? She says, it overwhelms me and means that it's difficult to ever feel truly happy.
1: Gosh, yes. Um, Yeah, I mean, I I, I can really relate to that. And um, I think you just have to find a way of protecting yourself and and disconnecting in order, order to preserve your own personal well-being. So, um, negative emotions. Well, all emotions are contagious, and I think you know you have to unplug um, sometimes. Otherwise, you just you would be sort of just completely overwhelmed. So, find some way of of taking some distance, you know, from from something that's you know really upsetting. Because otherwise if you I mean if you're trying to make a positive impact, if you're really suffering and and, and you are sensitive in that way, then you're not, not going to be able to sort of help someone. So find a way of disconnecting so that you you have some space that you are able to protect
0: your yourself. Yeah, I mean even last year during the pandemic, even though I had to go in to work and read the news, I wouldn't put the news on at home yeah. because it was it yeah. was overwhelming and yes. it was for a lot of people. They just chose not to yeah. not to tune in and I, yes. you know, I completely understood that mm. as well. Um, this one from Judith says, to be lonely is very depressing and as we come out of the lockdown, a lot of the bereaved will find it hard to become less mentally stable and happy. Any help would be helpful.
1: Um, yes, I mean, it has been a period of loss um, and, well, trying to find ways of connecting you know maybe trying to find your tribe a community you know I think in the middle of, of loss sometimes you do find kindness in strangers so remember to reach out I, I would say and and know that there is a tremendous amount of kindness um, in the world so find a way of finding a community.
0: I think that's quite hard, maybe, isn't it, for some people who are old, mm, yeah. who are isolated, who don't have family. I mean, you know, we had an elderly neighbour next door who doesn't have any children, so I was always checking up on her, mm, mm. Um, you know, as I know other people were. Um, I, I wonder whether that will become less so as we come out of lockdown and people get busy with their own lives. Um, so I suppose it's that idea of how, you know, where where do you go to find it? Is it even volunteering at a charity shop? You know, Absolutely, like get involved. Yeah, yeah. Okay, lovely. Thank you. Um, Jennifer asked, how important do you think your level of contentedness affects your level of happiness?
1: Aha. Well, uh, here we have um, a number of different terms and and these are also used interchangeably. So that level of contentment is the the eudaimonic uh, well-being and that is part of the the bigger happiness pie. Um, So... Um, One thing I would say actually that we, we do know that suicide levels are higher in countries with low levels of meaning and they are higher in those countries than they are in countries with low levels of happiness. So it's really important to have that sense of meaning and purpose and when we lack a sense of meaning then we are much more vulnerable to depression for example.
0: Okay, Um, and this one from Christopher. Many people are made unhappy by FOMO, fear of missing out. Um, Is there anything we can do to avoid this? I mean, we've talked about that in terms of social media, but what about just generally in life?
1: Uh, Yeah, I think it's about that JOMO, isn't it? The joy of missing out. Um, Well, this is where gratitude and savouring, I think, work really well. So um, just focusing, you know, put your focus on what's good in my life. You know, what do I have to be grateful for? And then when you're in the middle of a happy experience, don't analyse it like I used to, but actually be really present to the joys in the here and and now. Um, um, When I teach savoring, what I I, I often do is I um, bring out a bowl of some lovely fruit and some delicious, like chocolate truffles. And I get people to sort of slow down and put their full attention on, um, you know, eating a strawberry um, and then use your senses. If you use your senses, it really helps to add to the, uh, you know, the experience. So I think that combination of gratitude, noticing what's positive and savoring, which is maximizing all the joy on offer from that positive experience, squeezing all the joy. I think that helps us to really be present, you know, and, and enjoy the good stuff that we have.
0: So mindfulness really, isn't yep. it? Yeah, yeah. Um Kate asks, are there any particular age groups which are happier than others? And we've talked about that a little bit with older people, the baby boomers, and are younger people less happy now because of social comparisons? Uh,
1: I, I definitely think with younger people, um, we I mean younger people are 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 those the, the group that suffered the most as a result of the the pandemic and they are very um, vulnerable to peer pressure so yes they are yes social comparisons count uh, a lot amongst that um, generation and anxiety and depression levels uh, have been growing amongst young people that's that's even pre-pandemic we've seen that the mean age for the first onset of depression has fallen from midlife to age 13 uh, or 14. So we really need to be teaching resilient skills to young people.
0: That's really worrying that, isn't it? Do you think um, it's as much a thing that schools need to be teaching as parents as well?
1: Absolutely, yeah. And schools are, there are some schools who have um, resilience programmes. Mm -hmm. But yeah,
0: teach them the skills of happiness. Okay, and this one from Claire. How can we find happiness within ourselves when the world seems so judgmental? Social media creates such pressure to be worthy or to be seen, to be virtuous. So it's kind of what other people think of you is as important as what you think of yourself now.
1: Uh, Yeah, well, um, it's the same thing. You know, bring the attention, bring your awareness back to what is good in my life but also think about what are your strengths what are your positive qualities so find out what your strengths are and we know for example that, that your greatest potential for growth comes from knowing your strengths and using them so your strengths are the positive you how you are at your best. I mentioned the negativity bias earlier on, that people default to noticing what's wrong before they notice what's positive. And we can have a negativity bias about ourselves. So if if I ask you to name your weaknesses, generally people find it easier to name their weaknesses (laughs) than they do their strengths. So, and if you don't know what your strengths are, well, you can take a test, but you ask other people, you know, what are my strengths? So focus on the good things in
0: life and the positive qualities in ourselves. Mm-hmm. It's funny, my eight-year-old daughter was asked, to, she's got to write for next year, for a teacher what are my strengths oh. and it's and yeah and I thought it was a really good exercise because kids don't necessarily look at themselves in a positive way or think about what they're good at or what their strengths are and it might just be being kind which is what yeah. I said to her so you know I think all of this stuff needs yeah. to wonderful kind of come out uh, just um, so um, come just
1: um, on. one of the essential <laughs> skills of a positive psychologist is to be able to spot someone's strengths and reflect it back to them mm. and you don't even have to be a practitioner of positive psychology to do that you know and you notice someone's strengths, you know, tell them. Mm. It's, a, it's a wonderful gift.
0: Mm. And just lastly, um, before we finish, how have you managed to find happiness? Oh, indeed, you have.
1: Uh, uh, Yeah, I would. I am. Well, I. You know, I am. This this practice of gratitude has really worked. You know, like I will find joy in the simplest things. Uh, You know, like a glass of water. It's just so refreshing. So um, yeah, I think I, I go through my days just really savouring uh, all
0: the positives. Yeah, that's amazing. Thank you. You've given us so many fantastic tips and I think the key message is focus on your relationships, isn't it? Uh, and try and find those things in life that give you satisfaction and positivity. Um, thank you so much. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. For further content and opinion on the big trends shaping our lives, please head to the Sandlam website, www.sandlam.co.uk.